Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Heavy Branches Podcast. I'm Jacob. And I am Tanner. And we're so excited to get into Luke chapter 14 with you tonight. But before we do that, Tanner, how was your week? My week's been pretty good, but before we do how was our week, we're going to change it up a little bit and do mark your calendar first. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> so mark your calendar. Uh, as usual, uh, we just remind everybody that uh, what's going on coming up in the movement. Um, and the first thing is there is a leadership conference, leadership seminar led by Person to Person Ministries on January 11th and 12th that will be headed up by, um, man, Jeff Fall. I, I almost forget his name every time. Jeff Fall, and if you want more information on it, go to the website p2pm.org. The second thing is January 15th is when the LBC semester starts the full semester of next year. And if you were interested in coming to the Origins class, well, it started today and you're late. (laughs) (laughs) You had your chance. You were uh, given plenty of notice. And sorry if you missed it because it's been really good. We actually had class all day today, um, which is why if you're watching us on video, you're noticing a different setting. Normally we do it at my house. But we are at LBC currently right now, so... Uh, had Origins class today, and then we'll have it again tomorrow. So that's why the setting's different if you're looking at video. Which is why I postponed How Was Your Week, but it ended up that Mark Your Calendar led right into it. So, Jacob, how was your week, man? Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really caught me off guard doing that, but uh, it was good. Um, I'm trying to think of what I've done this week pre-class all day today. Um, I delivered some chicken, as I normally do, with Chick-fil-A. Uh did some reading, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, which is a fantastic book. Um, that's really about it. Pretty pretty slow week outside of today, being in class all day. Class, like I said, has been excellent. Looking forward to tomorrow. So it's been good so far. How about you? My week's been pretty good. Um, I've been writing a sermon this week and kind of really gathering thoughts because I'm I preach this Sunday and then next Sunday night, and the sermons are going to kind of go together. What are you writing it on? Um, The title of this week's is The Last Words of the Dying Christ, and it's really a a sermon focusing on his crucifixion. Okay. And the the things that he says as he is uh, on trial and dying on the cross and how important they are to the crucifixion. Paul said, we preach Christ crucified as you taught us this week in chapels. So. Amen. Oh, yeah, I got to preach in chapel this week, which is cool. Uh, I, I did it over Zoom, and then about five hours later, I drove down here because class started the next day, and I, I wanted to be down here. But that, like Jake said already, that's where we're at. We're in the, um, what you call this? The, the lobby. lobby. Yeah, I call the it the lobby. So we're in the lobby of the school on a couch. This is probably the most comfortable setting we've had. Definitely. Most uh, <laughs> up close and personal. Our thighs are almost touching, which <laughs> that's all right, I guess. Yes, true. All right. So that's kind of our opening here, I guess. <laughs> so bef- before we get, to, let, let's kind of wrap it up here. Uh, not wrap it up. Uh, bring it in is what I was, what my brain was trying to think of. Uh, before we get into Luke chapter 14, Let's uh, let's do a little icebreaker. Okay. I, th- I thought of a, what I feel like it will be an interesting one for us to think about. So I'll, I'll let you answer first. Okay. Um, but if you had to choose one person from the Old Testament and one person from the New Testament to sit down and have dinner with and just have a chance to talk to them, get to know them, obviously more than what we already know from the Scripture, who would they be? And But the only catch is is you can't choose Jesus because that would just be too easy of an answer. So one person from the Old Testament and one person from the New Testament. Just You get to sit down, have dinner with them, talk with them for a couple hours, pick their brain about whatever you want to talk about. It's an interesting question. Um, I think naturally we as people gravitate towards people that we feel like we relate to and or can learn a lot from. Um, 
I, I know my, the the New Testament ones are really easy. The Old Testament I struggled for a while, I think, to really come to. But my my final decision is David for the Old Testament. Okay. And my my reasoning for that is he is the only person in Scripture that the Bible ever says he was a man after God's own heart. Mm. And I I would almost just want David to tell me about his life in like a in like a biography form okay. um just to learn just learn more from from his perspective how things went obviously we get some of that in the scriptures but it, that would be really interesting and then for the new testament uh peter is definitely my response <laughs> that's who that's exactly who i thought you would choose <laughs> you know there's all this Gas and, and and praise for Paul. I don't know if Dawson is watching this right now, but if he is, he's dying laughing because he knew you were going to say that too. If Probably, but I I I think identify with Peter in a lot of situations, and I think the humility that Peter had to learn, I have had to learn, and I've learned that a lot of that through reading Jesus and Peter's interactions. Interesting. And so Peter, Peter would be one the the new, my New Testament choice. Yeah, when you were talking about David, uh, I was thinking of the Psalms, and just how many of the Psalms are a look inside of David's prayer life. Yeah, and that's true. Prayers that he prayed, and so many of them are just so meaningful to read, and you can just see how much emotion where it was in his prayers, and so just. From reading some of his prayer life in the Psalms, I feel like he would definitely be a really impactful and interesting person to be able to have a conversation with. Yeah. But. He definitely knew how to tap into his emotions a little more than me. <laughs> and that makes two of us. <laughs> so you're good there. What about your uh, your your choices? Uh, I'm the same way, man. I struggled thinking about this with the Old Testament a lot more than the New Uh one of my first thoughts was Solomon, uh, the wisest man, you yeah. know, and so he'd, he'd have lots of really good advice, I'm sure, so I thought about Solomon a lot. Uh, one of them I thought about was Jeremiah. Uh, he was a preacher, like you and I are, and uh, he preached to Israel to repent for 40 years, and they never listened. They never repented. And so getting to talk to Jeremiah about perseverance in the ministry when things aren't going well I think would be really cool. Uh, but I think what I finally settled on was Job. Okay. And as many of you know, um, Job went through more um, struggles and hardships than probably any other person in the Bible that I could uh, think of. And so I think Job would be really interesting to talk to about perseverance and perspective uh, when things aren't necessarily going your way in life, because we all have those times where it just seems like everything's against you and nothing can go right, and I think I think Job would be really interesting to talk to you from that perspective. Um, when it comes to New Testament, I thought about the apostles some, and I actually ended up going a little bit of a different route. I ended up uh, picking Timothy. Okay. Um, yeah, I like that choice. Because I thought about saying Paul, but like I said we couldn't choose Jesus because that would be too easy. And then I feel like Peter and Paul are like the two apostles that people would choose, and you already took Peter. So I feel like if I took Paul, it would just be like too predictable. So I was – Paul mentored Timothy. So in a, <laughs> in a way, I can still get stuff from Paul, but I'm, I'm being different by picking Timothy. Okay. <laughs> no, but uh, more seriously – I think I would choose Timothy because well, you and I are trained to be preachers, evangelists, and so was Timothy. Uh, and like one of the things Paul told him was to not let anyone look down on him because he was young, uh, but to set a good example uh, with his speech and his actions and his purity. And that's not the exact quote of that verse, but it's it's close. You can uh, take a moment to look it up if you'd like. But I think Timothy would be a really cool person to talk to just because we kind of have the same how do I want to put this 
he, he was tr- trained to be an evangelist, a preacher, and I'm, I'm doing the same. And so getting to talk to him about that kind of stuff, about ministry of the word, I think would be really cool and interesting uh, hearing about everything that Paul taught him and how to be uh, a good preacher and how to be a good servant for Jesus through his ministry, which is similar to mine, I think would be uh, would produce some good, some good and meaningful conversation. Yeah, definitely interesting speaking to him about, I mean, I mean you said it, but we're pursuing the same uh, pathway of service in the kingdom and and getting to talk about to him about that would be would be awesome. So if you guys are, are listening to this, I'm sure as we've been talking about who we would like to talk to from the old news, you've probably been thinking about it too. So if you, if you've been thinking about this and you've settled on something, let us know. Uh, leave a comment if you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, you can uh, type in a little Q and A box and, and we'll be able to see that. So I, I know I'd be curious. I'm sure you would too, to, to hear what some of you guys, how you would answer that and why. So, so let us know. But uh, with that, with all that being said, I think we're ready to jump into Luke chapter 14. Yep, Luke chapter 14, as always, make sure you read it before, during, after. Um, make sure that you are reading it in its context and, and, you know, checking us. But as we dive in here to Luke chapter 14, we have 35 verses, and Luke's been really, really kind to us, hasn't he? 35 back-to-back weeks, man. <laughs> We were used to, like, close to 60. (laughs) So 35 verses. The chapter 12 was 59, so close to 60 was about as close as I could get to. Okay. Yeah. That's That's fine. So uh, 35 verses. My chapter title, um, after our discussions, um, it is totally, total commitment or totally commitment committing to being a disciple something along those If you've those got a title there. you've got to settle on something you can't well, I, we'll you go can't with, have three titles we'll, we'll go with something short we'll go with total commitment okay and and as we go through this you'll you'll see why so let's let's hop on in verse 1 i i just it's always verse 1 i have always got something you've verse always one. got something anyway it says it happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. It is, we all know that it is very common for people to say that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that that's wrong. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Um. But I've also heard it, maybe not said directly, but I've heard it at least implied that he was a tax collector, he, he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but not of the Pharisees. And that's kind of interesting. But what I want us to realize just from this verse is we see an example here of Jesus making the effort to have a relationship with the Pharisees. He's he is he's been invited to the house, their house. He's he's eating with them. You know, we would call that fellowship. He's he's trying to have this relationship with them. But what are they interested in? The end of the verse says they were watching him closely. They were trying to catch him, like they always are. They had no interest out of pride and out of rejection. They had no interest in having a relationship with Jesus. Even though Jesus was actively making the effort and teaching them and trying to get them to see their flaws so that they could have a restored relationship and they could that he could have that friendship with them, they refused it. And you see, the reality is, the lesson that I am drawing from this is Jesus is friends with... And I'm going to say more properly, he saves those who humbly admit their flaws and sin before Jesus. And again and again, we see that the Pharisees chose, and because of their hardness of heart, were almost incapable of doing that. And that's why we see, that's why we say Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, because throughout Scripture, those that were in 
we're able to admit where the tax collectors and the sinners, those who were not able to admit that they were sinners, were the Pharisees, the prideful. So, Jesus was a friend of the humble, those that would humble themselves before him, being able to admit that they are lesser than he for a multitude of reasons. Then, uh, verse 2, a lot of people probably don't know what the word dropsy uh, means. Um, It says, and there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy, so they're on the Sabbath, and he sees this man um, with what we see is called dropsy, and I'm beyond. I didn't know what it was until I looked it up. I didn't either. But um, from both of the things that we looked up, dropsy has to do with swelling. A lot of times, the swelling happens in the legs, and the swelling typically comes from heart failure. And I know um, just from some family members that sw- fluid buildup is a cause of heart failure or um, what's called congestive heart failure, where the heart begins to not be able to help the body get fluid out of your body. And so it begins to build fluid up and you swell. And as that fluid builds up, it becomes even harder for your heart mm-hmm. to pump. And so um, dropsy is very is um, simply swelling probably caused by heart failure. Um, and that's what Jesus sees in this man, um, if you were wondering what that was. Then, as we move on, we see another instance. This is, I, I believe, the third time. It, it's, it is at least multiple times now where Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And the simple question that I'm going to draw out of this this time is who deems something right? We're taking a class this weekend on origins. And we've been talking about, you know, the creation of the universe and the existence of God. And we're going to talk about it more tomorrow, but the reality is God has created things to be a certain way. And with him being the creator and him creating things a certain way, he is the one that deems what is right. And, you know, in, in class, we've been discussing different worldviews. Uh, Christianity is a worldview, but it's it's one of just many. There are many different ways that people view the world. And one common one today is, is what's called postmodernism. And if, if you're not familiar with that, one of the main characteristics of the postmodern worldview is that truth is relative. Huh. It's, it's subjective. Yeah. And so that, that, that's why you'll, you'll hear people say sometimes today, if you're, if you're talking to them about uh, your belief in God or, or whatever it may be, they'll say, okay, that's true for you. That's fine. But don't try to govern it on me because what's true for you is not true for me. And, and what's true for me in my life may not be true for you, and that's okay. And and that, that's I'm not I'm not saying that's okay. That's the postmodern view is that yeah, yeah. things that are true. What what's true for one person does not have to be true for everyone. Um, and and so as we've been talking about these worldviews, it it reminds me sometimes of of the Pharisees in situations like these where they are they are trying to set the truth. For themselves and not accept the truth of Christ and who He is. Yeah, they 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 can't admit they can't admit their own their own fault in this. And the the reality is they don't get to decide what's right. They don't get to decide what's right. God does. And we've said this before, but Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Scriptures teach that earlier in the Book of Luke. And so. With God setting the standard for what is right, the expectation for what is right, however you want to put it, he sets what is right. What is considered good is after the heart of God. What is considered right 
is after the heart, the nature, who God is. It is it is related to that. When you when you're reading the scriptures throughout it, as we see the difference between right is wrong, you can always take it back to who is God. And if you're questioning, okay, is this right? Who ask yourself who is God? Because if you if you take it back to who God is and His nature, that is that is your confirmation, your foundation for right and wrong. Because what is right correlates with who He is, and and that that is where His expectations come from. Absolutely. So Jesus like I said, has already done this healing on the Sabbath multiple times. And Jesus asks, he actually like jumps ahead this time. And instead of healing and then waiting for the Pharisees to question them, he knows their heart. And he actually asks a question first this time. And he, and he does this, and he's testing them. And knowing their heart, um, you know, he, he knows their heart. We said before they were watching him closely. And he jumps ahead, asking them a question, and then proceeds to heal, showing that what is good, doing what is good is the right thing. And we mentioned, uh, I believe it was last week, but we mentioned that Jesus at some point um, would talk about how they care more about their ox or their donkey. Well, here's the verse, verse 5, And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on, the Sabbath, on a Sabbath day? So the simple, the simple thing here is they would do something for their own self-interest, for their own self-interest, if it meant it was good for them. So getting their son out of a hole or their, their ox that they own out of a hole. Yeah on the Sabbath, but they wouldn't help somebody else. If it was just some random person that they didn't know that fell in a hole, they'd just leave them there. And if you notice their response to Jesus saying this, verse 6 makes it pretty clear, and they can make no reply to this. So they knew they were in the wrong, but you don't see them decide to, all right, Jesus is right, we're wrong, let's change our mind and repent and do what's right. They, they instead just say, stay silent, make no reply to this, because their hearts were hardened. Yeah, and, and, you know, a way we can apply this today is for your own life, or as you're seeing the people around you, watch out for hypocrisy. If, if you are focused more on yourself if if you are doing things that are self-serving and not doing what is good for other people but instead doing things that are self-serving and, or you refuse to do something good for another person but when it comes to doing it for yourself you you know provide for yourself plenty that's hypocrisy or if you see somebody doing something and it is self-serving but they wouldn't do it for somebody else. That is hypocrisy, and, and that is that is a lesson that we have to learn from this. Then we move into some parables that Jesus begins to teach, based off of this. Um, it's it's connected to this hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It's connect. It is an emphasis. This is where the emphasis of commitment starts to to reveal itself that Jesus is making. And it is commitment to him. And so we see this parable in, in verses, he, he's at this dinner and he begins to teach and the parable starts in verse 8. I'll just go ahead and read that. It says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by than than you may have been invited by him. I can't read. My goodness. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man 
and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this thing of a place of honor. I'll start with with the basis of all of this. Who deserves a place of honor? If I asked you that, who deserves a place of honor in your heart and your mind? Who deserves it? Yeah. I would say the one that died and gave his life for me. If you asked me, that would uh, be my answer. God is the only one that deserves a place of honor. And in all, knowing that, and when we come before Jesus, when we come before God, we should immediately realize we deserve no honor before man or before God in all situations. We are flawed, and the only reason that any of us have any hope that there is any glory to be had in the future is because of Jesus, the one who died for us. That's that is that is the basis of this. And I think Jesus really wraps up kind of, or kind of shows the main point at the end of the parable there. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And it's natural for us, I think, to want to exalt ourselves. It is. I mean I mean I think of think of like a little kid. Um sometimes you'll see little kids go up to their, their parents or older siblings maybe and say, Mommy, Mommy, look look at me do this. Look at me do this. I always think of my little brother. Uh, when he was, I don't know, five, six, seven years old, we'd, we'd be at my grandma's pool, and if my mom would be sitting out tanning or, or reading a book or whatever, and constantly he would run in and out of the pool and jump in and want to say, Mom, Mom, look at me jump in. Look at me do this cannonball off the diving board. Or it's always, Mom, look at me, look at me. And so what you see from a young age, human beings want to exalt themselves and and make themselves uh, the star of the show, I guess, if you will. And yeah. it's it's natural for us. I mean, and I mean, you if you look at, like, professional sports today, a team could be losing by 35 points in a football game, all right? And somebody will have, like, a 10-yard carry, and they <laughs> get up, and they're flexing, they're jacked, they're, you know, they're saying first down, and they're, and they're still they're losing. losing by 35 points, <laughs> and their team hasn't done anything, but they want all this praise and honor, and it's like, you probably haven't even done anything the whole game anyway. You're down by 35 <laughs> points. Yeah. And it's like, it is definitely the a, a worldly mindset that we, in some circumstances, probably allow too much um, from the Christian worldview. Right. And um, we have to be very careful about this. Um, you know, so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do we walk in a room expecting respect, authority, and praise? Or do we walk in a room seeking to honor and encourage the people, uh, everybody else? I, I think there is a mindset that, Obviously, we know that we have been created in the image of God, and by that we have we have worth, God ordained worth. But that does not mean that we get to a, to walk in a room and demand respect from everybody else or honor from everybody else. I don't even know if it's so much demanding respect. I mean, I think we can expect just general respect from people like they're not going to treat us like trash but it's not wanting to have the best seat at the table yeah i mean it like walking in with your nose up like you're better than everybody else in yeah. the room kind of thing um so do you walk in a room seeking love 
or seeking to love um, is an emphasis that we can draw from that. And those that live pridefully will be humbled by God, but those that live humbly will receive honor from God uh, when Jesus comes back. Then we get into another parable, and uh, I'll just go ahead and read that, verses 12 through, I'm going to read through 15, even though the parable ends in 14, but it says, And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, otherwise they may also invite you in return, and that that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It kind of seems like he's hitting at the same point again, don't you think, of, of humility? Yeah, and I I think there's, it's humility. There's also a lesson in here of, of selfishness versus generosity. I think that's the very, that's like the face, the, the face value lesson. I think if you have humility, you're going to tend to be more generous than, than caring all about yourself too. And so... You know, if we almost wanted to take it to a um, beatitude, you know, blessed are the generous, <laughs> um, because God expects us to be generous, to be kind. But you're right; the really, He is continuing to teach this humility in. Don't invite all. Don't invite. A bunch of rich, rich people, rich neighbors, um, or friends. Your friends, or your brothers that are going to then proceed to give you, give to you, give to people that need it, give to people that you wouldn't expect to return the favor. Yeah, don't just try to help people and do nice things for people who you know or you expect are going to turn around and do nice things back for you, do the nice thing without even expecting any repayment. Um, Christmas is coming up, and, you know, many of us many of us give out of, out of a heart of giving. Uh, there are many people that <clears throat> give because they feel obligated to. Huh. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm guilty of that at times, um, giving because I feel obligated to. Um, and that's not the heart I should have at all. Um, I should be giving because I want to and because I care. And <clears throat> honestly, giving at Christmas time, I don't think is what Jesus had in mind here. No? <laughs> uh, you know, giving a lot of times Christmas, sometimes Christmas gifts are, are things that people need and, and, you know, can actually use. For uh, for a good purpose, uh, one of my favorite gift gifts I ever got at Christmas was the Bible that I used from my freshman year of college till my till I graduated as a, with my bachelor's degree. So you know that was then you had to retire it. Then I have retired it. It sits <laughs> on my shelf and gets open every once in a while. But that, I'm getting off topic here. But you know, a lot of times gifts are are useless <laughs> things that do show they care. So in that sense, they're not useless, but they either show they care or that the person felt they <laughs> needed to. Uh, but in a real sense, I, I don't think that's what Jesus' point was. But it, it, there is this sense of, of being humbly generous, being humble, and caring for other people above yourself. And... You know, with this this season of, of, of Thanksgiving just passed, with Christmas coming up, and really year-round, we really need to be placing others above ourselves. But not just others. What we're going to 
read further here is it's not just place others above yourself, but there's one that reigns above all. Right. So let's keep going here. In verses 16 through 24, he tells, Jesus tells the parable of the diner. The dinner, not the The diner. dinner, thank you. There's two ends in that word. Having trouble reading? I'm having trouble, apparently. <laughs> but the question I'll ask after, you know, make sure you read it, but the question that I would ask, that I asked myself after I read it is, who do you love first? Who do you love first? Because, you see, there's the sense of we need to recognize our personal need for Jesus. Um, and all of these people were invited, all these, um, you know, I'll say big shots were invited, and none of them felt the need to accept the invite. Well, they all they all made excuses, and and as we get to the latter half of this chapter, we're going to spend some time talking about uh, priorities and what people put first in their life, what we should have first in our life, and and, and I believe Jesus is teaching this parable right before he talks about this this matter of discipleship, because a lot of times we see people make excuses, whether they would say them. And admit to it or not, they make excuses. And, you know, the excuses that are made here in this parable, one one guy had, had just bought a piece of land, and he needed to go out and, and look at it. Another guy had just gotten some new oxen, and, and he wanted to, to test them out. Another guy's kind of like you. He just got married. And so he, he wanted to use that as an excuse. Now, I'm not saying your your marriage is an excuse to not be a disciple. I'm just saying... Tanner just got married very recently, for those of you who don't know. But I think that's this parable is here for a reason right before this this section about discipleship that we're getting into. Yeah, so really here, Jesus is the one inviting, right? And he's inviting through the message of the gospel. And people are making all these excuses about, pri- and it's, really it's, they're putting, they're making priorities above Jesus. But those that recognize that they have a personal need for him, the the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, are the ones that come. And Jesus says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. None of those that that rejected the invite get to get to eat it later. So is everybody going to heaven? Not the people that don't accept the invite. It's not what the Bible teaches. But what does it take to accept that invite? What level of commitment does it take when we accept that invite? I think we're going to see as we finish out this chapter that any anything short of total 100% commitment of being a disciple is not enough. And that's really when that question, who do you love first, comes in. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, does Jesus want us to hate our brothers and our sisters and our own wife or ourself? Let me let me just say something about this verse. So... When I did youth ministry, I was a youth minister for about a year and a half. I, I, I would commonly, on multiple occasions, use this verse as a teaching point that you really need to be careful because people can take the Bible and, and just take a verse and pluck it out and, and really make the Bible say anything that you want it to say. Now, I actually I haven't really heard anyone try to say that because of this verse, Jesus wants us to be hateful toward everyone, even ourselves. I haven't heard someone say that. Maybe you have. But the point of it here is I could I could make, if you if I just pull it out of context, I can make a biblical case that we are to be hateful. I mean, Jesus, it's in Jesus' own words. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate 
his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So I can make a biblical argument. If you don't hate your family and your own life, then you can't be a disciple of Jesus. And, and, and I, I taught that to the youth because I hope they will grab their attention that just, just because you can take a little piece out of the Bible and make it say something does not mean it's true and does not mean you're taking it in the context. And so, so keep the context in mind as we, as we discuss the end of Luke chapter 14 here. We see, you know, just a couple parables back that he expects us to care for other people. He expects us to put others before ourselves. <laughs> his emphasis here is not hate everybody else because that's his emphasis here is love me first. Love me more, and, uh, you know, a correlating passage that we can go to is Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. It says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is calling for a total commitment, and he continues that thought with verse 27, who do, whoever does not carry... <clears throat> Excuse me, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Who who will you sacrifice for? And not only that, it should be everybody, but who will you sacrifice for first? Who above everything else will you sacrifice everything for? So Jesus teaches here in these in these couple of verses we're going through here, 26 and 27, we need to love him more than anyone else, including our family and ourself. And then this idea of whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, there's going to be a level of self-denial and, and being willing to die for him. And then he goes on even even farther. I'll read a little section here. I'll read verse 28 through verse 33 here. These are the words of Jesus. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, What king... When he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Man, that's a hard teaching of Jesus. Jesus has some hard teachings recorded in the New Testament, you know, things like uh, don't don't hate your enemies but love them and pray for those who persecute you. That's a hard teaching. Here's another one. None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. So, what we're learning here from Jesus is that biblical discipleship Discipleship, as Jesus taught it, meant that the disciple had to be totally committed, willing to love Jesus more than family, willing to love Jesus more than self, and willing to love Jesus and prioritize him even over our own possessions and be willing to give up anything that we have for him. You know, we often say this, we often refer to this as counting the cost. There's a couple truths with this. The first one, and you know, I'm there's a lot of disagreement about this, but the first one is the loss must come to him by choice. It is a choice that every human being has, not some, all of them. A choice must be made. And Jesus is very honest. He warns us here that it comes at a cost to make this choice. It is a, a huge commitment, and not just huge, it is complete commitment. Willingness to give up everything 
if we have to. I think a lot of people will think sometimes if they are going to decide to become a disciple of Jesus, to become a Christian, it means their life will change, but not so much. Their, their Sunday mornings will change. If they're really committed, their Sunday nights will change as well. And if they're just absolutely on fire, their Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night will change because they'll be at all the church services. And, and, and I think some people maybe unintentionally convince themselves that that's all that changes in their life if they're going to be a disciple is when the church doors are open, they're there. And, that, and that's what we see as someone who's totally committed as a disciple. But that's, that's not what Jesus teaches as, as a, what a disciple who is totally committed looks like here. And I said if we have to, but the reality is when we go from lost to saved, there are many things that, we, that are around us that we have that if they are drawing us away from making Jesus our, our full focus, and if it's keeping us from fully committing ourselves to Jesus, then Jesus teaches to cut it off. And so there are many things that it's not only if we have to, it's we have to. If you think you're being a, a committed disciple of Jesus and you haven't had to give anything up in your life, you haven't had to make any any noticeable changes in your life, you might need to, to think about, am I really being totally committed or not? And, you know, this podcast, our emphasis is bearing is is bearing fruit and so proving to be disciples of Jesus. If we aren't fully committed... If we are not willing to give things up to be fully committed to Jesus, there is no bearing fruit. No. You don't bear fruit without full commitment. You got to remain remain in the vine. And Jesus teaches that in John 15, which is where the the name of this podcast came from was the verse was specifically John 15 verse 8, but during that whole teaching Jesus is teaching us if you do not remain connected, if the branch does not remain connected to the vine, and again, we are, we as Christians are the branches, Jesus is the vine. If we don't remain connected to him, we are never going to bear fruit. So count the cost. Be willing to pay everything. Realize what it takes. And also realize that it's necessary in humility to pay. It has to be done. It has to be full commitment. And if we don't count the cost properly, this is another part of this, if we don't count the cost properly, if we, if we lessen the word of God, if we um, um, make this false Jesus up in our minds almost that it doesn't take everything, if we don't count the cost properly, and the world controls us. If it rains in our lives again after a little while, instead of Jesus being the full our commitment for our full life, Jesus has something to say about that as well. He says in verse thirty-four, "Therefore, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned?" If we allow the world to control this again or the world maintains the primary control of our lives, we become useless like salt with no taste. We become worthless, professing disciples. And it will be clear because we will not bear fruit any longer. Jesus really really wraps it up here. So some might take it as a little harsh, but it's the truth. Just as salt with no taste is useless for both the soil and the manure, if, if we're saying we're disciples, but we're not totally committed, we're not going to have any use for Jesus. We're not going to bear any fruit. He ends the, he, the chapter ends saying this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Jesus is saying, here's the truth. I've just spoken to you the truth. But if you want to understand what I've just spoken to you, you must seek me back. If we want to understand the truth, we must seek him. We must seek to understand what he's just said to us and apply it to our lives. The reality is that full commitment is more than just knowing the truth and what it says, but it is committing to it, applying it to ourselves. Actually becoming disciples so that we can bear fruit for his kingdom. He who has ears, don't just listen to it and know it. Hear it and apply it. It's good stuff, man. Do you have anything else before we wrap up? I think that'll be all. All right. We want to thank you all so much for for listening. Um, it's been kind of cool to do it here at the school. You know, uh, so much of what we've learned and and our development and in, in the scriptures and our 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 knowledge and and a lot of how we know to apply the scripture we've learned here yeah and it's been from from great men that are committed to jesus christ and serving him in their lives many of them are preachers and and it's just been awesome to to study here um this has been this is my first class for for my master's degree you're several classes in now but yours is for your master's degree and um you know we're we're doing this because we we have chosen to commit to a lifelong service to jesus and therefore growing in his word so that we can serve him better and hopefully that Hopefully you guys listening, you know, want to do that too. And hopefully that's why you're listening to the podcast is, is to grow so that you can bear fruit. Um, we, we, you know, we're, we're in, we're getting into this, we're into December now. So, um, there's going to be a lot of busyness, but we're still going to make sure the podcast comes out. Even if we have to record, you know, multiple in the same week we'll make sure the podcast comes out every week again thank you and as usual we call you and we call ourselves go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples